is my podcast where I deep dive into matters surrounding HR tech and the future of work. I was a former HR serial entrepreneur and write extensively about the future of work on my blog. You may know me better through the Singapore HR tech market map that I created in 2017. In this podcast, I speak with the people who are enabling the future of work. From mindfulness coach to employee engagement platform, they are all helping companies to better navigate rising work and business demands. I'm hoping that sharing in this podcast will help you better prepare yourself and your business for what the future of work may bring. My guest today is Craig Brown. He is the CEO of Everest Engineering, one of Australia's most respected software development agencies listed by Boss Magazine and the Australian Financial Review as one of the best places to work. Everest is at the forefront of modern software product development practices, valuing mastery, collaboration, and making an impact on the world. Craig has long been an early adopter of agile methods and practices and believes improving and developing the skills of people is critical for innovation and product development. Craig is an international speaker on human-centric workplace management and agile methodologies. Uh, Hi Craig, thank you for coming on to the show. Good afternoon, Adrian. How are you? Afternoon, I'm doing well. How about you? Yeah, yeah, good, good. I'm having a good day. Thanks for making time today in this podcast episode. I'm really excited to speak more with you to understand, especially from a business leader perspective when it comes to the future of work. Uh, Predominantly, I've been speaking with HR tech vendors and some HR leaders as well. It's interesting to get a perspective from the business leaders to perhaps understand a bit of differences as well as similarities on how you perceive or how business leaders would perceive the future of work. But before we begin, could you help the audience to better understand more about yourself and the chain of events that led you to where you are today with Everest Engineering? Yeah, that's right. Um, I, uh, I'm the chief executive of a company called Everest Engineering. We're a software agency that began in late 2018. We've had a fairly rapid growth over the last few years, despite the pandemic. And over the couple of years, we've, we've absorbing those transitions and those pain points that you do as you go from three people to a couple of hundred. But the motivation for staying in the company is my partner and I, Ranganathan in Bangalore and me in Melbourne used to work at a SaaS company and that SaaS company eventually got acquired by, yeah, as, as you do. And when that happened, it was just a changing chapter in our work lives. And so Ranganathan and I were talking and he put to me the idea that what our particular competence is growing and developing product development teams. And so we should make that our business, the next chapter of our working lives. And so we've started a business with the express intent of trying to create a great working environment for people in the business of software product development. Yeah, that then cascades into what does that mean for customers, of course. And so we have to build a great experience for our customers as well. And yeah, and I'll keep talking about what matters is the feedback loops between um, the great experience customers have and the great experience we want to build for our team members and making sure that they amplify each other and continue to grow for the successes. And that's where we started. Both of us have got many years managing software teams internationally and a fair amount of experience. And I think deeply, not just about like the software or the building part of it, but about the social aspect, the human aspect of what it takes to build great software products or great software product companies. Mm. I must say it's quite a unique proposition for you to consider starting a business. And of course, one of the key propositions here is to ensure that you create a great working environment, especially given the software space, which honestly, if you just Google around in the news, software companies usually are not really the most enlightened when it comes to having a great working culture, especially in, in the cases of a gaming software company. Yeah. Was there an, an experience, some history behind this, some encounter that got you to focus 
on creating and emphasize on a great working environment? I've been working in the industry since the 90s. And yeah, over those years, very quickly, I ended up being in a leadership role, running teams or being a leader in a leadership role on teams. And I, I think I was fortunate in the, in my earliest days, I was surrounded by people that had a strong sentiment towards humans and realized that the success of teams is all about people working effectively together, having a shared vision, communicating effectively. And, and that was my first couple of years in the workforce learning, not even learning, just being shown that's the way to do things. So I think for me, it was set very early, but then what happened is over the decades since I've studied, I've got degrees, I've done my own particular pathways of study and professional development and so on. And, and along the journey, I've continued to experiment with the things that I've been learning through that academic pathway and applying them and testing them in the field. And I've just found that there's a real strong correlation between what the academics say and what really works. You just have to do a good job of it and you have to really commit to doing a good job. And you mentioned about some of the tests that you applied within your own organization. Could you share with us a few examples of those? Tests? I think in, it, it was funny, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I was just going through this phase of whenever I joined a new company, I would pick one topic to try to dial up to 11, to go really extreme on and see what happened. And so an example would be transparency. Right. So not so much making other people transparent about the work, but being as transparent as I could as a manager about what my intentions were, what my thinking was, what was going to happen in the organization in the, com in the, in the months ahead of us so that, so that I could demonstrate that I had faith in the people around me and so that I could model what transparency and um, openness looked like. And so to try to push that into the standards, the behaviors and the culture of the organization that I was at. And every one of these little moves just adds up one at a time. So you can't necessarily change an organizational culture as an individual, but like you can contribute to it and, and the people around you, if they're doing the same thing, can build things and persistence and patience and also, you know, building alliances and doing it collectively really do make a difference over time. And something that you mentioned earlier on that the pandemic actually has given you guys a record year or, or in fact a better year compared to before. In your opinion, what do you think are the key attributes in, in helping this beside the industry that you're in? I think the pandemic has been certainly a test of a lot of people's you know, fortitude in a, different, in a bunch of different ways. What I notice is our company was lucky because it's very human-centered. <coughs> Excuse me. It's very human-centered and... We, we started with remote working as default practice. We started with an intent to make supporting people and caring for people and kindness and respect and all those sort of things core to our business. So we had those things in place. Now, when the pandemic rolled in, um, there have been a couple of different aspects that have affected us in different ways at different times, but they may be a little different to some other places. So the first one is we realized Generally, the workforce was anxious about what's going to happen. Different companies were laying off staff and different companies were reacting to the pandemic uh, in different ways at the beginning of last year. We pulled the team together and told them what our intentions were, that we didn't want anyone to lose their job, that what we were doing to try to maintain our cash flows and uh, maintain our existing relationships with customers. And that went pretty well. We didn't say that we had all the answers. We didn't say that we knew what we were going to do through the rest of the year, but we did acknowledge where we were at and what the actions we were taking. And then that way, our workforce at the time um, were reassured that at least we were paying attention and doing something. And, and then we instituted at that point a monthly uh, all-hands update. We hadn't done that up until that point, but we instituted that 
that monthly update. And so then we just bring everyone together once a month and give an update on where the company's at, what's going on and so on. So that, that was then. And then since then, of course, the pandemic didn't go away in three months. It's been, you know, pers um, pursuing us relentlessly over the last year and a half. At various times, different people wear out and burn out and have their own crises of various types. And so I think reminding people continuously to have patience and to be kind to each other really is important. A lot of the burnout stories you hear when you're generally listening to what's going on, people are sick of back-to-back -back Zoom meetings. People are sick of everything's just a transaction. It's the same thing over and over again. And I think building in, building in space for people to spend time on their relationships and not just be transactional in meetings is a really important part of creating a great working space for people. We're not unique again, but over the course of the last year and a half, we've run a bunch of events like there's trivia, there's board games, like online board games, there's karaoke nights, there's bringing people together to do watercolors. So there's a bunch of variety, various things like that to bring novelty and, and variety to people's weeks. But even just in the context of doing work, slowing some meetings down and making space for people and not trying to be always super efficient and also just people that aren't necessarily on the front line of teams, but checking in with people and asking if they're okay. Not necessarily directly asking people if they're okay, because a lot of people don't want to maybe open themselves up or be vulnerable, but just checking in and spending time with people as humans versus that relentless focus on transactions that we're often subject to. I think your, your gravitation towards the emphasis of employee well-being as well as having the good mental state for your people is really a huge contrast compared to the stories that I hear, especially in Singapore, where mm. many leaders, I think until today, they are still trying to grapple with the, the idea of managing people remotely because for the longest time, they might be a micromanager or they tend to manage based on inputs. For people who well are aware that they are in that state what are some and, and is aware enough to move out of it what are some of your advice or some baby steps you think that they could take in order to move away from that and and how do you convince them that actually placing trust and autonomy in your people is much more effective than micromanagement i would say that my, that bias towards micromanagement is often generated by an anxiety that people have about their own performance. A manager that wants to get a bunch of status reports and capture a bunch of data about what's going on in the team is probably, I would hypothesize, less worried about the team's performance than they are about their own value contribution to the team. And, you know, over the many years that I've been in the workforce, I've spoken to a lot of second tier managers, so not frontline managers and not senior managers, but people in the middle that have expressed that anxiety. How do I show value about the work that I'm doing? And so being able to, to do progress charts or status meetings or that sort of stuff is a method for people to show they're busy. And that implication of being busy maybe says that they're being productive. But when you are working asynchronously and when you're working remotely and you lose those opportunities to do things, well, you can still play that calendar Tetris game and just like book yourself from nine to five in meetings, but there are things that you can do that are better and more impactful. And I, I personally think one of the most powerful things you can do is as a manager, schedule in one-on-one -on -one meetings with team members, but remove the conversation about the transactions of the week. Stop asking for progress. Do that at a collective level at the team level, because you do need to know where things are at and so on, but give someone 30 minutes or an hour once a week or once a fortnight and say, how are you going? Are you okay? What's interesting? What have you been learning? What's exciting about this project? What are you finding frustrating? 
ask those questions and engage in a dialogue around that person's workplace experience. And then through that, uh, they'll start expressing things and they'll start exposing risks that you might not have seen through the normal progress reporting or, or whatever you do. And, and you'll actually get a better, A, insight into how that person works and what they do, and B, like a real deeper insight into how the team is going. And through doing that, you can you can pay attention to the work, but also you can pay attention to the person. And then you can help that person grow in their career and pay attention to skills development and think about their role and, and their behaviors at work and how they can grow in a, a variety of different ways. Um, yeah. And then that just becomes a force multiplier because eventually they'll start coaching and mentoring others. And then all of a sudden everyone's trying to improve and support each other to improve. So I, I, there you go. I'll round that back to coaching conversations are probably one of the most impactful things as a manager you can do. And, and would this kind of activities be somewhat harder to execute given that we are all working remotely right now? And how do you try to work around that if there are indeed some challenges there? I, I don't imagine it's hard to schedule it because you're the manager and you've got the team there. So you can just say, everyone, I'm going to take a half an hour of your time in the next fortnight, and then I'm going to repeat that in the fortnight and so on. Doing it is fine. And, and there's plenty of waste work that you can churn out to, to make space for it. But I think beginning those conversations is going to be quite difficult. So when you as a manager turn up to someone and the usual relationship there is, I'm going to tell you what to do. And then all of a sudden, if you turn up and go, so what's interesting to you, that person's going to go, ah, what do I do now? And they're not necessarily going to be open or transparent or talk about the things. They're going to position their messages and all that sort of stuff. So I think there needs to be some, first of all, some setting up. This is what I'm trying to do and this is why I'm trying to do it. And your motivations, of course, have to be authentic. So how to start the coaching conversations with someone would be, first of all, explain to them what you're trying to achieve. And, and, and secondly, have patience with the process because over time they're going to open up because you're having dialogue and you're learning from each other and you're supporting each other. But if you go into it, try to assert your management authority onto a person and coach them to performance, they're going to not trust you and resist that. And it's going to be a compliance oriented activity versus a mutual growth and learning activity. And I think that stance towards learning together, growing together and supporting each other needs to underpin all this sort of stuff. If, if that's your motivation, then it's going to lead to success. But if you're just trying to control chaos in your own way or demonstrate that you're being valuable, that's an inauthentic approach and you're not going to get the trust and the buy-in of the people you're trying to work with. And, and I also understand in one of the survey that you guys did, 96% uh, of your staff actually found their mental health improved when they were given the agency and freedom to flexibly make decisions around their remote working circumstances. And I think autonomy is something, of course, many employees and many talents would definitely appreciate. What, what kind of remote working circumstances are we talking about in, in terms of the, uh, their ability and freedom to decide and to make those? So in Hyderabad, Melbourne and Bangalore, we've got offices, quite lovely offices too. Um, that, that for a big portion of last year were dormant. So they were just shutting, we, we shut the doors, no one went in and everyone worked from home. When, when lockdowns started to end and we were able to go back to the office, we knew that some people really liked working from home and we knew that some people were really desperate to go back to those offices. And so rather than, rather than make one rule and make everyone fit into it, excuse the windows noise, why rather than make everyone try to fit into one rule, what we did is we surveyed the staff and we asked, what do you want to do? And so our teams, our software development teams generally work in little squads of two people, five people, seven people, something like that. And ultimately what they wanted the autonomy to do was as a team decide for them. And that meant generally they might 
choose to mostly work at home and sometimes come to the office, or they might like to, as an individual, come in sometimes and not other times. And so what they typically want is agency and the decision making rights in their own hands. Now they're going to be good corporate citizens or social citizens organization. And they're going to work with their team members and they're going to come to conventions and they're going to let's have lunch on Thursdays and stuff like that. And that's the day they all go in or not. There's also a tolerance and respect for someone who wants to, you know, they've been living at their parents' place on the other side of the country for the last few months and they're not coming back for a while. So it's to accommodate that as well. So we've just gone, our principle is trust and have faith in the people. And so we're going to let them do what they want. And we're going to facilitate. And so what that means is orientation to the office rather than a place where you go to work. It's now we think of it as a place where you come, where you want to engage in the social aspect of the company. And so there's workstations and there's lunchrooms and there's in, in the Bangalore office, there's a table tennis and in the Melbourne office, there's a kitchen, you know, chef quality kitchen. And so there's different things in different offices and people can come in and use those services when they want meeting rooms, whiteboards, video conferencing spaces, whatever they want, right? But they're not required to use it. Yeah. As demand goes up for the space that we've got, eventually we'll you know, start having to schedule or you know, expand our services or you know, build tools to book spaces or whatever. But for the moment, it's a service that you can leverage if you choose to, or if you want to stay home, go right ahead. The upshot of that is that we trust our people. We demonstrate that we trust our people that way. And then they feel agency and they feel empowered. And then they, that giving people the authority to make decisions generates positive feedback loops again. And so. When you get given autonomy and agency, you then start acting more accountable and, and then it just, you get more and it just feeds back to itself. So, yeah. And when it comes to, uh, it sounds to me that a lot of stuff happens and all new initiatives happens based on very much the feedback coming from the people, the, the kind of advice and the kind of uh, solicita solicitation that you approach your, right. your staff with. Besides, of course, just remote working experience as well as the things they should have in office, to what extent do you actually go to them to gather their feedback? We, we do it in multiple ways. Like I said before, we bring everyone in the company together once a month for a 45 minute thereabouts meeting. And as a part of that meeting, we offer space to anyone to ask any questions. Now that's something where not everyone's going to ask a question at because it's in front of everyone. We've developed this uh, practice in that meeting actually where, where the, the, the tail end of it, the last third of that meeting is people just publicly sharing appreciation for the help and support that they've received from other team members. So we listen to that and we hear what people are appreciative of. And so that's part of the gathering of feedback. We've issued surveys to people from time to time on specific topics. And we ask about, say, what do you want to do with going back to the office or what type of computers do you think are the right ones to use or, or yeah, amenities and services like that. We also have city-based, so Bangalore, Hyderabad, Melbourne, monthly check-ins as well. So people come together and they might talk about, you know, whatever's important to them in their particular local region. And then on top of that, there's coaching conversations. So people um, can talk about how they want to improve in their craft or challenges they're facing on their project or whatever. And then of course, there's like this open door policy where you can reach out to any senior person in the organization and ask to have a conversation. And we try to be very responsive within a day or two, you'll get that time and you'll be able to have that conversation. The bigger the company gets, the harder that gets to, you know, do it within 24 hours, but we still maintain a commitment that our organization is built on the success of the contribution of our team members. And we have to maintain a commitment to being responsive and supportive to their needs. So yeah, again, that kind of goes back to values, not just practices or, or statements, like we really believe it. So we really do it. And then that authenticity demonstrates to team members that we do care 
and we work hard. We, as I was saying to you before, as this company grows, you hit these inflection points and the practices that you had six months ago start to not work. And so sometimes we run into these points where it's a bit frustrating. Things are slower. It's difficult to get decisions made because you're trying to get all the people lined up at the same time. So these things are never perfect, but it's not about the particular instance or the particular moment you're in. It's about the trajectory you're on and the journey you're on. Building that journey on a bunch of values and principles helps you stay aligned and stay together. And I guess the journey itself is also something that people appreciate, not just the outcome. Of course, that is also important, but the sure fact that management actually has the intention and spend time to sit down, to talk to me, even if my idea is not accepted because I'm just one of the few that actually suggested it. But at least there's there's this inclination to be able to see that management actually have a listening ear and actually solicit my feedback for it. So I think yeah, that's yeah. something that people may also would want to pick up. It's, it can also be more about the journey rather than the destination. Oh, 100%. 100%. When, if somebody brings you a suggestion or an idea, it may not be the right thing for that particular time, but it's a data point that feeds into what we should do collectively. And yeah, as these things build up, maybe you had a great idea and you spotted an opportunity, but it's coming in six months early. But it doesn't mean that it was a bad idea to bring it up because that might be the first part of the conversation that turns into something really meaningful. And the other thing that I also want to learn from you is uh, culturally, there are significantly significant difference between the people in Melbourne versus people in India. Are there mm. practices or initiatives that work for Melbourne and not so much for India and vice versa? Uh, there's a few cultural differences between India and Australia. For instance, deference to authority. Australians have a disrespect for anyone that assumes any sort of formal authority. We're pretty good at making fun of that. Whereas India tends to have a bias towards respecting organizational authority a little bit more. We try to bring everyone together. Earlier, we tried doing training as a part of induction, and we still do talk about the differences in country cultures in the induction part of the organization process when you come on as an employee. But we found that rather than try to just, yeah, play out a couple of PowerPoint pages in your first week, it's better to just engage people um, in the work and have people work together. And yeah, and we coach and mentor team leaders. And part of what we coach and mentor team leaders on is like cross-cultural communication and understandings and behaviors and so on. So if you're an Indian person leading a team with some Australians and some Indians, you're aware and queued up to some of those differences. And then if they become an issue on your team, then you know how to think about it or talk about it. You don't necessarily have the answers, but you have topics that you can bring up. And our organization's approach to this sort of stuff isn't rather, isn't one of somebody telling you what to do. It's about collectively coming together and saying, I am observing these things. What should we do to deal? Same goes for an Australian that's leading a team that's mix of Australians and Indians. And, and the idea is like by interacting with each other continuously and trying to learn together, we don't tend to be Australians and Indians working together. We just tend to be international teams. That that also goes for our customers as well. Like we have customers in Australia, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, United States, all over the world. And we work and co-create with our customers as well. And we work on a global platform. And, and I think we all have things that we can learn from each other. And I think, again, that's that value proposition, right? If we're in it together and we care about each other and we're open to listening to each other and learning from each other, we can all walk away from this project smarter and more experienced and wiser. wiser, And that should be our aspiration. 
Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you so much for today in sharing with us about how your company overcome the challenges when it comes to hybrid way of working, remote work, as well as the mental health, taking a more consultative approach instead of micromanaging and providing and instilling greater trust and autonomy in your staff really help to exponentiate, bring you, bring you to where you are today. Thank you so much for your time today. If people are keen to learn more about Everest Engineering, where should they go to? Everest.engineering on the internet is our website. We've got a great page there on values and principles, actually, that if, if people are interested in this sort of stuff, they should have a look at. Sure, we'll do. I'll put all this in the show notes. And once again, thank you so much for making time today and coming onto the podcast. Lovely to talk to you, Adrian. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.